Welcome to Old School, everybody. Ben Mankiewicz here, joined by Mark Thompson, Alonzo Bowden. Jank is off this week. What's up, fellas? How are you? All right. All right. Ben, how you doing? Alonzo, good to see you. Uh, as up? always, uh, Old School, uh, sponsored by ShopTYT.com. I'm pretty sure I got the website right after, I don't know, Lord knows how many years. They got some great t-shirts. I think you can still subscribe and get their coffee. Uh, and if you buy a lot of the coffee, you get them. I think a mug. I don't think there are any more Santa mugs, but it's you know January, so that's fine. Mark, you're a you're a coffee subscriber, are you not? I am, and uh, if you buy a lot of the coffee, you get a mean buzz going too. It's really great. It's just an added component. <laughs> uh, Alonzo, are you a, a, a coffee drinker? I am. I am a coffee yeah. drinker, and I have sampled the coffee. I don't know. Does that mean I've drank the Kool Aid? I don't know, but it was good. <laughs> it's good. uh, it's yeah, it's good. I um. I love talking about coffee. The, the danger of talking about coffee is that I talk about coffee uh, with anyone who, who wants to talk about coffee. And then for about, I don't know, three or four years, the only gifts I got from the auxiliary people in your life, right? These are like not your closest family members, but they're people who are close enough to give you a gift, right? And I mean, they're frequently in the family. And I have to add my brother to this, who is close enough to me, but is now in the auxiliary group for the purpose of this story. All I got were ways to make coffee. That's it. That's it. So I got like, I got uh, two small French presses, a big French press, mm -hmm. a slow pour, a uh, Keurig, an espresso, uh, a, then a giant sort of industrial coffee maker for all the parties that I have, plus a regular coffee maker, and then plus like a four cup coffee maker. Um, I mean, I don't wow. like coffee that much, right? <laughs> and then you That's sort of a, feel, um... and they're all kind of nice. So you feel compelled to keep them. And I was triggered to bring this up in part by uh, by listening to your conversation that you fellows were having uh, before the show about you know uh, what is it what's the expression that uh, Marie Kondo uses that the thing only things that make you feel special what is it that's not it yeah it has to bring you joy sure 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 well I mean it has to bring you joy I'd literally be living in an empty house but but so I need a, <laughs> gonna need a different standard um, uh, so no those coffee things don't bring me joy um, but because I love talking about coffee I'm not going to tell you how I make coffee now here as we uh, ended 2020 and moved into 2021. I found these, uh, uh, um, I don't remember what triggered it. If I saw something on TV, I was reminded about living in Miami and how much I like Cuban coffee. So I bought a, a coffee maker. Uh, I went online, I found it cost $11. And it's like this little tin thing. It looks like the coffee maker, maker that's on the stove of every movie made before 1961, right? That's another reason why I like it. And then the it's the kind of a triangular on top and triangular yeah, on bottom. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but it is in fact an espresso maker, and the espresso comes up right. and then spills out into the and and then you're supposed to pour it in little things. So you can put the like the sweetened milk in if you want uh, the tres leches, which obviously I can't make, but I can put Splenda into half and half and call it tres leches. Um, and I mean. It's glorious, and the process, and then you buy the Cuban coffee now, and the, or the fake Cuban coffee. Uh, but that whole process, that little thing, and then cooking it on the stove, and then the flames from a gas stove, they like singe the bottom of the pot. I don't know, man. I feel alive. <laughs> like, like and I, I, yeah. I understand why people get involved in your coffee because that was a detailed explanation. Like after someone hears that. They're like, well, I got to get him something coffee related because he's, I got you, he's deep. I, 
I did it yeah. myself. I got you. I mean, you. that was <laughs> like uh, the conversational New Yorker piece about uh, coffee. Exactly. It was way detailed and way into the emotion of it. But I will say this in defense of uh, Brother Ben. Uh, there is a ritualistic aspect to making yeah. coffee. I'm also a huge coffee person, as I mentioned. And so I understand the ritual of some of this uh, to which he's referred. In other words, the different kinds of coffee, the drip and what he's talking about is like this sort of reverse percolation sort of thing. It's uh, each one has its own ritual to it. it. It reminds me a bit of, you know, in college when there used to be the, you know, you younger boys and girls won't be able to relate to it, but they're like these record albums and they would like get their pot potheads would really get the, they, for sometimes for long periods of time, separating the seed from the pot to the, I mean, it was ritual, clearly. And they talk about that even with heroin addicts, that there's a ritualistic aspect to the needle and and and, and all of that that goes with heroin. So I, I get it. And uh, I think part of it is the ritual. And the other part, of course, is the taste. Yeah, I, I so I like the, the ritual matters. And then there's I'm curious because there's a distinction between rituals, which make you feel sort of cool, the right kind of cool. And in this rare case, I'm putting myself on the right kind of cool. And then the rituals that are totally manufactured, like going through the enormously ridiculous number of steps that one has to go through when they are making, when they have a restaurant style espresso maker in their home, right? Or creating the wafts from the slow pour and talking about it, right? Like all that, I was like, this is phony. This is phony. But here's this old school way of making coffee that, you know, like pioneers. So no one in my family. Like that they went through to make coffee and it just looks right on your stove. And I was like, yeah, this is how it is. This is how regular people. Now I've just lost the thread of being cool. This is how, no, like, no. Uh, this is how coffee is supposed to be. It's not that complicated, but you get a nice smell and you put it on your stove and then it, it does the sound. It percolates. And that tells you, Oh, I got to take it off the stove. I, 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 I can't remember what started me on this, except that's something that brings me joy. And every other coffee maker that's in the house is a goddamn thing that I can't get rid of because I'm afraid the person who gave it to me will come over and be like, hey, where's that French press? <laughs> That's very cool, though. And yeah, a lot of times older things that require that ritual That's right. are yeah. cool because it's like you said, it's not artificial. It's how it used to be done. So, yeah, I'm. I'm that's yeah, it's great. Short, it's shortcut free, right? And, and when you can't do the shortcut, somehow you feel maybe a tiny bit more, I don't know, grounded. Somehow. Now I'd like to tell you why I stopped using the very thing that you're talking about. Because uh, I noticed yeah. Yeah. over the months, because I too shared some of the same feelings about it, sort of the yeah. emotional draw it had. I noticed over the months that the character of the metal, the container that was holding the liquid started to change. Like there were stains I couldn't get out and yeah. it became discolored. And all of a sudden I thought probably drinking, you know, this heated metal stuff. And I don't know what that other stuff on top of the heated metal stuff is. And I kind of psyched myself out to be perfectly honest. And I so, have, I, then I got another one and then it still had the issues. And so I dropped it. So the, uh, now, uh, 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 let me ask Asher, can we, uh, uh curse? On old school, is that allowed? I think the answer is uh, yes, yes. We can curse. Yes, yeah, but we I'll can. Keep it, so go for it. Okay, all right. Uh, mark you. Okay. <laughs> oh wow. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. So um, 
Yeah. So there's a couple of things. So first of all, it had these, by the way, I ruined one of them because I, 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 I prepared the coffee without any water. That. Oh, no, no. That's a, but that's common. Don't, don't no. even give yourself a hard time. I used to leave the thing on all the time and it would burn into a crisp. Yeah. That's yeah, right. So then I got another one and then I, uh, but I thought, and then it, it got the, the pot, the thing that holds the coffee is already discolored a little, but then I, and I, at first I thought that was cool. And then I learned that you could actually just wash it and it cleaned out. So I'm probably still in the honeymoon phase there. But then there are more expensive ones that would clearly are sturdier, right? And, you know, made of, I don't know, stainless steel or whatever the, it is you guys call it. And, but those have a, they had a brand name on the thing, right? And I didn't want to see any brand name on the stove. Nobody in pioneer days right, had a brand right. name on the yeah, stove. Yeah, that spoils the, spoils the spoiling, pioneer right? illusion for you, does it? Yeah, it totally did. It totally yeah. did. All right. Well, anyway, uh, enough of that. <laughs> uh, I, by love, the way, I uh, love that Ben took it back to pioneer days where we, you know, right. It was, right. It was <laughs> building the fire underneath the coffee maker that really made it genuine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, it's, lot, so it's great because I would, when I would, when I watched these, you know, obviously I've seen 10 billion of these classic movies and, and almost in many of these Westerns, these guys prepare coffee over the fire on some cold night out in the what was what is now the Nevada desert or out in Arizona. And it's the desert and it's January and it's freezing cold. And every time I think, man, I have not ever enjoyed anything as those guys are going to enjoy that cup of coffee. <laughs> like, like, I mean, it's got it's fresh. Right, they had to ground it. It's not like they could buy chock full of nuts and carry it around with them. No, they they they, they cook it right there. It's incredible. You want some coffee? Yeah, yeah, I want coffee. Oh my God, that must be so good. I'll oh. tell you what uh, Ben turned me on to Alonzo. He turned me on to uh, in this coffee world a metal uh, French press. I've always used the glass French press, but the metal French press. Um, allows the pot to sort of retain the heat, right? So your coffee stays longer, uh, stays uh, hotter longer, I should say. And uh, that was Ben's big contribution to my coffee life. And my contribution to your coffee life, Ben, is to focus more on the discoloration of that metal stuff and think about that going into your body. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So I, I want to ask you, Alonzo, because I see these dates, these dates are obviously correct. You're going to be at the Bananas uh, Comedy Club in uh, Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, later this month, right? In theory, I mean, you know, right now, anything you plan could change at any time. So, and and it's almost comical that my next two gigs scheduled are in New Jersey and New York, two places that are pretty likely to say, no, we're not doing any live shows. But uh, yeah, right now I'm scheduled for, Hasbrook Heights is just across the GW Bridge from New York City. And uh, the other show I have coming up is in Nyack. So to be honest, I don't know what's going to happen. I my no, in November, my December canceled. In December, my first half of January canceled. So, who's to say what's going to happen right now? So, when's the last time you were live in front of an audience? Uh, the the weekend of Thanksgiving, I was in Arlington, Virginia, a place called the Arlington Draft House, which is sure. I've been there. Yeah, you've been there, so you know. I grew it. up so in you DC. Know the yeah, layout. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's kind of place that was easy for them to do social distancing because they they just literally pulled chairs out and uh, separated people. That the shows I did last year that was 
basically the rule of the clubs. They would do a six-foot distance, and most of them were half capacity. And uh, I didn't have any problem. And then when you're on stage, you know, you're you're kind of automatically social distance, and they have a separate microphone for each comic, you know. So so it was relatively safe. But that's the last time. Well, no, that's not true. I did uh, a week before Christmas. I did a show in West LA. This was fun. It was behind a weed store and we were totally illegal because it was after the 15 people like limit and we had there might have been 30 35 people there i said it's the only time the weed was legal the comedy was a crime (laughs) illegal but the weed was fine that's good that's good that's good but it was outside so it was outdoors yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was outdoors and people you know what they do is they have you sit with who you came with You, you know that that's the right. theory, like we're not going to just sit people together at random. At this one, people brought their own little lawn chairs and they sat in in pairs around the you know backyard parking lot area of this uh, weed store. The uh, what's the atmosphere like at these shows? Like, I mean, uh, you know, they're obviously different. I'm going to guess the weed store, the the renegade, uh, the pirate uh, weed store show might have been a little different. But like when you do a show at the Arlington. Draft house. I mean, is the crowd into it? Is there any feel? Is it so dramatically less than a show that you would have done at this time last year? Well, uh, they love it. The audiences love it. They they're as they miss it as much as we do. So they're very appreciative. They're very into the show, and it's kind of the shared experience of yeah, this is weird for you, and it's weird for me, and we we have fun with it. Um, that that's been pretty much the vibe. That's been pretty much the vibe. You you don't get the same. I mean, it's not the same vibe, right? As as uh, you know, three hundred people at the Saturday show, but it is much better than doing a Zoom show with some people unmuted and you know th- whatever goes on. I mean, we've all been in Zooms and we've had that connection. There's no. It, I I liken it to the difference between playing Grand Theft Auto, the video game and actually stealing a car and running away. Um, I'll go with the actual stolen car anytime. <laughs> do you think that, Alonzo, do you think that there'll be a um, this thing that's talked about now a lot in reference to what you're speaking of, which is sort of this pent-up desire to get out? Uh, do you think that there's going to be this roaring 20s kind of uh, just the top blowing off everything? when things finally chill out, maybe it'll be very late this year or early even next year. I don't know when things will finally chill, but uh, to somehow allow all of this pent up emotion and desire, you know, to, to get going. I think that'll happen to an extent, but the thing that'll stop that from happening is not everything's going to open at the same time. Uh, So that's going to be the rollout. But like, for example, you take Vegas. When Vegas, when and I think it'll be a matter of the vaccination has spread out enough in the population where you know now it becomes, um, for lack of a better term, a manageable risk, right? And Vegas says we're open. It's going to be berserk. People, you know yeah. that that's where the pent up energy. When people get to do something like that, it's going to be huge. But but I don't think it's going to happen all at once. Like you know, it'll be like first. The smaller venues will open, you know, like say in L.A., you know, the the clubs will be open long before a theater, you know, like like the Hollywood Bowl. That's not opening up again anytime soon, you know, um, 
I don't know that with sports only because they're so greedy, they'll be like, yeah, we'll open it. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll invite 60,000 of our best friends to a football game, but that's because sports, they just don't care. Uh, but, but other venues, I think it's going to be a slower rollout. So the pent up energy won't explode all at once. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking, Ben, I was talking to somebody about uh, what Alonzo was saying about sports and uh, early on, very early on in the pandemic. And I was saying the NFL is going to have to do some things. I mean, they may have to shorten their season or modify their season. And my pal who worked for the NFL said, no. Yeah. He said, I've I've worked here for years. We're not changing anything. We're going to have a full season. I don't care what happens. Watch. We're going all the way to the Super Bowl and through the Super Bowl. And sure enough. You know, yeah, and you there's know, some and, version of that played out in, in other sports as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and they deserve, I mean, the, I guess what, what I thought they ought to do and what I guess they haven't done, and it's not really on them. It's really, of course, on the uh, incompetent uh, leadership uh, at the top of the country is that like these sports showed baseball, which struggled so much early, but baseball, as much as I like making fun of their leadership. You know, they pulled it together, man. They had teams missing six, seven, eight, nine games, Cardinals and the Marlins. They got it together and they finished. They had a super and they had a World Series. You know, they figured it out. And none of these, all of that should have been a template for us to be like, hey, what happens when you uh, uh, test all the time and then quarantine the people who get caught and, and the people who, who test positive and, and, the, and, and, and you also uh, quarantine the people connected to them? Like, like, why wasn't that? Why isn't football and basketball, which did extremely well in the uh, in the bubble for the playoffs, why why we didn't follow that? It's like, oh man, look what happens if everybody gets tested. Like life can kind of return to normal. The economy, part of the economy, can can grow. And yet, we didn't use sports as an example. It just became like, oh, look at these privileged guys; they get to pay for all these tests. I mean, I, that was part of it. Um, I don't know. I didn't feel that way. I thought they. I thought it, we should have used it as a great example of what can be done if we're vigilant about this. If we have a serious system of of, uh, of tracing and tracking. Oh, Mark, you want to take this one or? All right, well, all I would say is, uh, of course, you're right, and the opportunities were there, and and not only were the opportunities there from a health standpoint, but the opportunities were there from an economic standpoint. You know the contact tracing world could have been filled with a lot of people who are out of work right now and were out of work back then. And in the early going, the contact tracing could have made such a massive difference in terms of encircling this thing and controlling its spread. It would have allowed industries to remain open. It would have allowed workspaces to remain open. So I completely agree. I think it was a missed opportunity, though, both from the standpoint of public health and also from the standpoint of, of, of employing so many Americans who are out of work right now. Well, I think one of the problems and one of the differences is you didn't have any football players running on the field screaming, I know my rights, I refuse to wear a mask. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, that's the problem that's right. in, yeah, in general society. That, you know, And I always get in trouble for using the word stupid, but, it, but it's the word that fits. You have these COVIDians, you have these people who refuse to believe anything. You know, we have it going on in L.A. right now, right? They're the stampede at the Century City Mall. Is there anything more privileged than going to one of the most expensive malls in L.A. County and screaming about how your rights are being violated when, like you said, Mark, there are people out of work who, you know, 
don't know how to pay their rent or whatever. And that that's why the sports thing didn't work, because in the sports thing, you had a group of people who said, let's all work together to make this work. And in society, you we have a percentage that refuses and it comes and leadership, Ben, you talked about it. I love the fact that these people are running around with no mask. All the Congress people and all their leaders, they already got the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm OK. You you so, run around in protest. So I think that's why you couldn't make it work. You know, the the you mentioned uh, the Central City Mall, which is interesting. That's a, a mid-city mall near Beverly Hills uh, in Los Angeles. I never thought of it as a really high-end mall. But of course, it is. Uh, it's not super high-end. It's not Rodeo Drive. But it's a. But I've lived near it. It's the mall I've been to most in my life by a ton. It's really nice because it's almost entirely outdoors unless you're in an actual store and it's easy to walk around and there's open space and it's California. And my family and I went there a couple of days after Christmas. Um, uh, I guess the end of uh, the week in between Christmas and New Year's. And I felt very almost instantly guilty about being there. But I was struck. I don't know about this protest, so I'm eager for you to tell me because I was one. It wasn't that crowded, and uh, and everybody people were outside. Unless you're in a store, and they regulate how many people can go in a store, and everybody's waiting patiently if they want to get into a store. And everybody was masked up, and everyone was so nice, <laughs> so nice to everybody else. I thought, um, you know, and one we I was uh, was going to walk into a store, and they're like, oh, and there was hardly anybody in the store. They're like, oh, we just reached our limit. Uh, he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to ask you to wait. And I was like, no, of course. I'll wait as long as you want, or I won't go in at all. It's no problem. <laughs> like, you got it. Thank you. I'm glad you were here. Um, and then I well, went into one, and then I went in one store real quick and it got a little crowded. And I was like, oh, I, I got to get out of here. Right. But not so much because I worried about myself. I just thought, oh, I got to help these, I got to help these guys out. They, there's too many people. Here. 